Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Brien. And Introducing, it's a change in latitude and a change in attitude. It's the poet laureate of the Florida Keys, the prophet of good vibes. It's Jimmy Buffett. (laughs) Folks, we're covering Jimmy Buffett today. Hell yeah. uh, I've been angling to do this one for a long time. Uh, I was originally saying we should do it in like the middle of December, have a little uh, Christmas in July and December with Buffett. Uh, But here we are at the tail end of spring. Uh, Good times, uh, uh, summer breezes, uh, happy hours on the beach under a hot sun right around the corner. It's time for Jimmy. It's time for Buffett. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited to talk Buffett today. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot here with this guy. Um, so, someone who I don't think almost anyone considers as a serious musician, but is still like one of the most successful recording artists America has ever produced. Yeah. You know, define serious. He's certainly played a lot of music. Yes. Uh, <laughs> more, I think more than maybe most people have played in the world yes. just like cumulatively <laughs> i don't have stats on that but uh he has played for like 10 million fans yes. total which i don't know if you know how many people that is but it's, it's a, lot. a lot of people yes i mean look he's one of the rarefied groups of people who like prior to the 21st cen- century had a dedicated name for his fan base wow yeah he had a stan army he, before that was a thing the world's chillest stan army yes uh, every other Stan Army should take uh, several uh, banana leaves out of the book of, uh, <laughs> J- of Jimmy Buffett's parrot heads. In, in the Stan Army War, they're like the uh, the the Red Cross, it would be. <laughs> just <laughs> sitting by the sidelines, ready to give critical aid in the form of uh, you know my ties and uh, uh, what's about with the big banana drink. Well, pina colada. Pina colada, yeah, exactly. Yeah. To the injured masses uh, in the in the Stan Wars. Yeah. The if anyone gets their feelings hurt, they can go go sit by the parrot heads and have, <laughs> sip a sip a nice rum cocktail yes. and take a load off and I don't know, sit in a hammock and just relax a little bit, man. Yes. That's what it's all about. So I I I was certainly expecting good times to go in going into this episode, uh, Molly. I don't know. Uh, I I feel I feel like you, as I was suggesting it, you were expecting a, a, a little less, but. A, as we were preparing for this, you said, oh boy, this is going to be a good one. It's a good book. Specifically, this is a, this book is called A Good Life All the Way. It's a biography by Ryan White, who uh, he's credited on the book cover as being the author of Springsteen album by album. Okay, great. Um, so he's, he's, uh, he seems to know some, some kinds of stuff. Well, I mean, I think that that is telling that a guy who is a deep Springsteen biographer would also uh, yeah. you know want to branch into Buffett land. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we want to talk about what we knew, what our relation to Buffett is before? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead? I would just say that that my first kind of knowledge of Jimmy Buffett as a thing uh, was driving with my family somewhere in Cincinnati. Like we were going to, I would guess, a Cincinnati Bearcats basketball game. Okay. And on the other side of the highway, noticing as a kid, probably under age 10 or right around there, a long line of cars waiting to get off of an exit and noticing that every single car was a couple in their 40s or 50s mm. wearing Hawaiian shirts. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, hey, what, dad, what are all those people wearing Hawaii? Why are all those cars wearing Hawaiian shirts? And he took a second to look and he goes, huh, must be a Jimmy Buffett concert in town. <laughs> and I was like, what does that mean? Why would that happen? And he had to like kind of explain like, well, this guy, he does these songs that are like kind of about, 
I don't know. I guess his songs are about vacations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not wrong. Uh, and everybody who goes to see him, well, they always wear Hawaiian shirts and they're called parrot heads. Yep. And that was my first familiarity did with you, him. Did you want to go go with them? Well, it seemed like good vibes. Better than a basketball game? Yeah, well, way better than a basketball yeah, game for me. I, <laughs> I was not big into going to basketball games as a kid. The thing about a basketball game is like the hot dog you get at it only lasts like three seconds sometimes, yes. but then the rest of the basketball game is quite long. Yes. There's some hot dogs in this book, by the way. Great. I can't wait that. to get to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, uh, that was kind of my first familiarity with him. Uh, and I, I don't know. I guess Jimmy Buffett's like a side current of pop culture. He Both present but not really interacting with mm-hmm. it he's his own eddie he's the florida keys yeah they're there but they're not really part of the country you he's know an, he's an island uh and so you know the hits margaritaville cheeseburger in paradise mm-hmm. which are like bordering on novelty songs you know you could say that uh but so i, I guess you you would cons- consider him in that realm but and though he's massively po- popular though it's easy to have good feelings for it towards him because it's you know they're not hurting anybody. Yeah, he's not infringing on any other artist or genre. He's not taking up like chart space that you wish was taken up by your own favorites or anything. So I've I've just always had fond feelings towards Jimmy Buffett. It seems, as always, like good vibes. Yeah, it's not. I feel like his thing is not um being overexposed. If you don't want to be exposed to him, like you could live your entire life without. Yes. I believe having to interact with. Jimmy Buffett, his fans, or even his many franchises, which is the other portion of his uh, his, his presence and his presence, and that's how I think I first was aware of him. Is I knew he was a man, and I knew he was a musician, but I was I think much more aware of Margaritaville as a uh, a place, a uh, you know, a sort of an actual place, a, an actual place, a sort of pa- a mind palace that became like a real <laughs> palace. I, I was aware of you know like the brand because uh-huh. by the time I was getting out of childhood and the the turn of the millennium um he, he the brand really started to kick in i think his orlando margaritaville opened in 1999 and then it was off to the races from there and i think by the time uh i was in like high school i was it, it, it was very clear that like margaritaville was bigger than just uh jimmy buffett the guy but it is about just jimmy it buffett is about the guy. jimmy buffett the guy and i knew i knew the songs but not very well and he has an incredibly deep catalog i think it's 29 studio albums yes plus a bunch of live albums uh like compilations greatest hits all that kind of stuff so he's he's incredibly prolific uh and yeah he he exists no man is an island but jimmy buffett he kind of is kind of is and it's it's a fun one but we should get into it because this book is uh there's a lot of gems in it there's a lot of stuff in it i had to leave out a lot this is my sort of general caveat before we go into things is that uh in this bi- particular biography style, not only is Jimmy Buffett's entire life detailed, but everyone who interacted with him gets their own like half a page of biography. <laughs> and so if I don't give enough time to say uh, Fingers Taylor or Roger Bartlett from the original uh, parrot or the original uh, Coral Reefer band, uh, I apologize. And they could probably get a, uh, a podcast episode just for themselves. But I'm really just trying to focus on jimmy today great well if there are any uh parrot heads out there who are listening to this and just screaming into their fo- phones that we're not giving fingers taylor the re- the the attention or respect he deserves please feel free to send us an email uh we, we would like to hear from you and perhaps we can do a uh a, a, a parrot head band addendum yeah yeah so that that's my uh uh th- we definitely aren't going to be able to get into this whole book uh but we we can try to do our best with the the jimmy buffett life and lifestyle yes shall we get into it yes the scene 
is 1970s Key West. There were sentences to craft and brushstrokes to perfect. There were tarpon and bonefish to hunt. The drugs were plentiful and the sex wouldn't kill you. It's it's a 1970s Key West. That's where we start. The sex wouldn't kill you is a particularly ominous. It's pretty bad, right? Uh, uh a way to frame the beginning of this book. We people used to live a carefree lifestyle, God. a hedonistic carefree lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, in Florida, the economy was wasn't that great then. But uh, you know, seventy set like seventy six to eighty seems like a good time to have fun if you can afford it. Well, well, well. Let's <laughs> let's hear. About but I want to put a pin in that because that 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 opening line mm-hmm. uh, kind of comes back around, and I'll give my my take on Jimmy Buffett and what I think is why he is so um, appealing toward more towards the end or perhaps when it comes up. Sure. But, but I would like to put a pin on that opening in that opening line. So I think it's 1971. Jimmy uh, shows up into, into Key West, which is a a sleepy beach town uh, that's economically depressed. He has a fun night with a bunch of locals. Uh, He's hanging out with a woman, drinking a jug of wine and riding. There's a a sort of tourist choo-choo train that goes through town (laughs) called the conch train. The conch train. Is it conch or conch? That's going I to think be very you can do important. whatever conk. I would. I was always say conk. Conk, conk out. Shell. Okay. Um. Ronk. Ronk out with your conk. Out. <laughs> uh. So that's you know it just it, there's like seven different witnesses to Jimmy's like first night in Key West and he uh, has fun and he's going to like it there. But how did he end up in Key West to begin with? So Let's drunk, take it back. Drunk Jimmy Buffett. Uh, Jugging, uh, jugging wine on the conch train and it's freeze frame you might wonder how you might wonder I, how I, I got here yes uh so jb buffett's grandfather was a sea captain there's a song uh called son of a son of a sailor yes and that is uh referring that that is jimmy and his dad is a sea captain he's a mariner since the age of 15 he was from nova scotia in coal mining country he moved away from coal mining country Good in nova move. scotia to uh you know man vessels including at one point uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pronounce this correctly, but the Chiquimula, which is a ship that carries lumber, salt, and coal between the West Indies and the United States in the 1920s. Okay, probably a, a wild time. So he's he's at one point he has been like piloting boats for like 40 years. Sure, he's a salty dog. This is D- Jimmy's dad, grandfather, grandfather. Okay. Jimmy's father, uh, James Buffett Senior. Uh, he was a master sergeant in the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, so he is a detail oriented. You know, maybe not so much of mm-hmm. a pirate type but still a uh, uh, an, an able an able seaman an able seaman um he gives birth or he gives birth <laughs> his wife uh whose nickname is pete's uh they have their baby jimmy on christmas day 1946 christmas in, day birth powerful birth yeah pascagoula mississippi but then they moved to mobile alabama because they both worked uh jobs at the alabama dry dock and shipbuilding company managing government contracts and that's where uh jimmy was raised Mobile is described in this book as the land of clowns, ghosts, and musicians. <laughs> clowns? Clowns. I, I mean, that's... Clown town. It's a clown town. Yeah. I mean, that might be Jimmy's memory of it, but uh, that is not how I would picture... Uh, Have you been to Mobile? No, but Mobile, Alabama in the 50s does not seem like a uh, a carefree place. You, you know, know? Well, th- that, see, that doesn't sound ca- carefree to me. That sounds sort of haunted, and you can hear the sort of discordant carnival music in the background. I mean, one of our favorite themes in the show, fucked up carnival music. I mean, yeah. Also, I assume, you know, uh, in the li- late 40s and early 50s, yeah, it's a, it's a clown town for white people. Yes, yes, yes. Jimmy is an altar boy. He played trombone he was a cheerleader <laughs> he idolized huck finn <laughs> i mean 
all the the funny thing and this was something that came up doing the uh, president's podcast is like a lot of fancy lads in the early part of the 20th century were cheerleaders yeah it was the was that just kind of like the square upright thing to be as a guy yeah i think it had more of an ex- a gender acceptable uh not that there aren't male cheerleaders who are doing quite right and are you know having uh widely accepted right now but i you know it, it seems like it would be less of a thing then but i think it was just part of that general like varsity vibe varsity like vibe. it was like kind of equally accepted to be like a football guy or the cheerleader Plus, or, or whatever football guys you just hang out with other football guys uh, hang out with the chicks when hang you're out a with the cheerleaders or your cheerleader. and also i think maybe even then like football was seen as like tougher but in like a bad way mm. you know like oh it's like rough and if you really want to like smack your head into other guys like that's that i yeah i do the cheers yeah and cheerleading is kind of musical in a way too yeah, you're exactly. chanting rhythmically uh Jimmy goes to Auburn University, um, kind of in the sense of getting out of the Vietnam draft. Mm-hmm. It's like around the time we're going to college would uh, uh, circumvent the uh, the draft. <laughs> so that's what he did. Um, he goes to a party. He sees a guy whose name is Johnny Youngblood, and he's playing guitar and uh, surrounded by girls. So Jimmy's like, "Ah, oh, nice. Uh, I'm going to do that too." So the time worn tradition of yes, uh, a great motivation. That, yeah chicks love chicks love singers uh he hops colleges a little bit um he goes to a couple different places and then he also just starts gigging so like he immediately he picks up guitar he sings he starts writing songs and he starts uh playing around the south so he's in places like hattiesburg biloxi which sounds like a fun place uh uh i believe do they call that the redneck riviera i believe so and uh new orleans that's where like uh that that there's tv show uh like Floribama Shore Shore, (laughs) something like that yeah uh yeah well yeah I think it's like a a a Mississippi zone where you can any any sense of what type of music he's playing right now singer songwriter stuff uh so what like Dylan (laughs) well that I mean that's the thing is like it's in the 60s there he's not a beatnik yeah and he's I think maybe more influenced by country and like southern music as opposed to like you know uh whatever is going on up there at the cafe well that's why I'm curious about it and it being in the central south around this time like what is he listening to is he listening to like like old blues is like is it like hank williams senior is it like you know whatever uh jan and dean you know those guys the people who might be on the radio around these times i'm curious of what what stew his influences come it sounds like he didn't i think maybe that's crucial then like i'm sure there was probably some i didn't write this down in my notes i'm sure he was listening to stuff but it wasn't you know the usual story with a lot of these people is like he had a thick ass record collection and was constantly seeking out new songs i think jimmy buffett was more like this is fun yeah i want to do something that's fun and a party and like gets me in like a social vibe Mm -hmm. and i will backfill that with oh yeah let's just play music sure what do the people like to hear and i mean he's a busker like he's uh uh, literally playing in the French Quarter in New Orleans, uh, quote, working for tips along that fine line between big, easy work and big, easy play. <laughs> uh, that's going to be us in a few weekends. Uh, totally. The There's also in this book, there's a lot of what I'll just call music guys, meaning like guys who work with Jimmy throughout his career, producing him, managing him, signing him to a record label, recording him. But they their own stories are like they played r- rhythm section in, in the muscle shoals. Like, sure, yeah. like it's just these guys who, who are the ones who are steeped in music uh, and come out of scenes and like, you know, record with, I don't know, little Richard or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they all, 
the what they all have in common is Jimmy Buffett. Sure. So uh, again, apologies if I can't give the richest backgrounds for all these guys because we only have so much time. But he meets this guy Milton Brown, okay. who is a Mobile area music guy. Uh, he with him he records some like late sixties pretty standard like folky songs, mm-hmm. uh, folk country. They get chopped around to Nashville, and in 1969 he ends up with a deal with this guy Buzz Kaysen, who was creating a publishing company. Um, so that that was kind of how he got into recording music in a more official manner is he had some guys yes and so is he slotted in in like these the songwriter capacity yeah singer songwriter um but like not his own personal style isn't quite defined yet uh he also that shit doesn't pay all of his bills so he covers the nashville scene for billboard magazine he's a journalist journalist um but we should listen to an early jimmy song to get a sense of what his uh, original uh, musical stew was like. Can we listen to The Christian? Yes, off of his 1970s 70 album, Down to Earth. Mm-hmm. All right, here it is. This And the cover of this album, just because I think it's funny, it appears to be Jimmy Buffett in, in sitting in the backseat of a car that is almost completely submerged in a landslide. Yeah. Uh, so this is The Christian. So it's like a little hippie-ish, but a little roots. Kind of maybe like Brewer and Shipley. You know that song, One Toke Over the Line? Uh, if, if I do, I don't. I can't uh, call it up to mind. But also, like fairly early on, one thing that is continually part of his style, a, a wry sense of humor, you know? Yeah, you gotta have quips if you're in the like country zone. I can't. I feel like of all the genres, it's the one that most supports like a, a good one-liner. Yeah. Or even I, maybe this is just that tambourine coming in. This kind of reminds me of a uh, like boots were made for walking, and just <laughs> yeah. in terms of like sonic quality. Yeah, yeah. Could you really call yourself a Christian? But right. it's a little. It's it's a little. Uh, it's not the darkest song, but it's not a very like uplifting song. No, no, it's a, it's sarcastic. Yeah, because he hasn't been to Key West yet. <laughs> He's gonna stop worrying about all this stuff real soon. All right, that's the Christian by uh, Jimmy Buffett off 1970s, Down to Earth. Uh, so that's that's the early Jimmy vibe. Um, he he is 
trying to make things happen in Nashville. It's not really working. The His sort of love-hate relationship with Nashville is a theme in this book in mm-hmm. general. Uh, and he, he kind of stalls out. And I, don't, I actually don't... I don't know how he ended up in Key West other than it was just like... He was just going, a place or, to go. just going around. I mean, it south. looks like he was just doing the loop of the uh, the Gulf of Mexico. And eventually you uh, you get down to the very bottom. Yeah. Or like he knew a guy and another guy knew a guy and yeah. that guy knew a guy. But he ends up there. So Key West is uh, uh, described as a land for dreamers, schemers and contradictions. It was <laughs> originally called Keo Hueso, which means Bone Island. Uh, Bone Island named for the remains that people found uh, when they came to the island and saw like a... Uh, uh, you know, warring yes. island tribes versus mainland tribes and the uh, the mm-hmm. detritus they left behind. So that's it's Bone Island, but then uh, Hueso turns into Key West. I mean, it's interesting. Key West, spiritually, psychologically, is such an interesting place because it literally... You, you've been. I've not been. Oh, you, oh okay. I uh, thought you've been. But it's... Because uh, it's literally the end the end of america yeah. it's like the very bottom as it's far south as you can it's go past you know? the end of america yeah it's it. it's it's really the the uh you know uh, the spiritually and phys- yeah, physically the the as far as you can go in one direction yeah so he it's uh you know a, a, a relaxed place not a lot going on uh economically or job wise everyone there seems to have uh kind of flamed out in whatever lives they had uh, lived before so jimmy starts fitting right in because he is a at the end of the day he's a nice friendly guy and people <laughs> like him that's the other theme of this book uh, so he he gets there. He starts doing things like hanging out at the local dive, the Chart Room, which served free hot dogs and popcorn. I, a great thing for a, a bar to do. Uh, and at least a couple Look, people. If you find a bar with free hot dogs, it's gonna be good. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Rudy's on uh, on Eighth Avenue, Ninth Avenue, Forty Second Street, somewhere around there. Still haven't been. I got to take you sometime. I know. Uh, he. The, uh, several people who worked at the chart room are like sources slash interviews in this book. <laughs> uh, basically, everyone who's hung out with Jimmy has talked to this guy at some point. Um, he assembles these like goofy sailing competitions like the tequila regatta which they later called the tequila regretta because uh <laughs> every, everyone's boat why. broke because <laughs> the guy that they uh borrowed their catamarans from w- was known as like running a sketchy catamaran business and they uh, would all break and then he would charge people 35 dollars to like rescue them <laughs> that's, a, like that's that. a good scam yeah he was part of a uh, loose party collective called club mandible <laughs> <laughs> that that's the kind of shit that they would do together um and a then party you, collective yeah it's just like, like guys hanging out guys hanging out guys, guys doing being stuff dudes. guys being dudes girls be girls being ladies yeah uh everyone drinking sailing sunning yeah uh seems pretty nice i mean that's the thing that the key west vibe that i imagine especially in the 70s especially before before it got so commercial no it's like and that's a part of it being it being the end of a place is that where a people people can go to like forget that they they do live in a society you yeah know? right which is a, i think attractive for some people yeah uh and also it was you know a little bit lawless in the sense that like if you got too drunk to drive home the sheriff would drive you home mm-hmm. or uh if you got too drunk to drive home you could just drive home anyway and you wouldn't get in trouble or take the choo-choo or the, or the, take con, the, train. Ch- the con train um there also a lot of weed shipments and drug shipments were yes. coming into key west uh which would just pop in with the shrimpers in the morning uh <laughs> and this was a little bit pre-war on drugs so that kind of just happened and yes. everyone turned a blind eye so like fun place to be 
uh, and then Jimmy's still playing music uh, when he plays in town. Like he'll go to, to venues like the Boca Chica Lounge on Stock Island, which was described as having uh, the front and back separated by a chain link fence intended to catch beer bottles and separate the shrimpers from the rest of the crowd. <laughs> so like imagine, a, I feel like a roadhouse. Uh, yeah, vibe a, is, a Key West roadhouse. Yeah. Um, and then he also, you know, while he was hanging out in Key West, he would occasionally hit the road. Uh, he played all literally all over the country and he started gradually getting more attention from a, uh, a small but committed group of people who believed in Jimmy Buffett. Uh, so he was sort of collecting uh, guys to help his career. He's a radiating vibe and it's attracting people to him even before he's like really solidified at what his deal is. Yeah. He, it's, it seems like he, the person, comes first and then the music uh, yeah, is something I, that happens. I mean, I, I don't know if this is the vibe that you get from the book, but I'm kind of imagining him as, uh, you know, piano man vibes is like he's playing like probably bars and, and little shitty dives and, and you know, uh, beachfront um yeah, like uh, uh, watering holes mm-hmm. and just another one of the regular guys that they rotate in to play some songs some night. And it is the kind of person that there's something about him that makes everybody in the bar go, man, what are you doing here? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But not but not in a man, what are you doing here? Like, uh, get the fuck out. Man, what are you doing here? And you want to hang out afterwards? Yeah. Yeah. You doing anything? Let me buy, let me buy you around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that That is exactly the vibe. Uh, there's a good example of this era of his life where he he caught an opening gig for Neil Sadaka. OK. Yeah. Um, but he immediately, you know, he did the first set and basically got everyone hated everything that he did. And he had another set to do. Uh, he left for a, a little bit, got drunk with one of the women who worked at the venue, decided to slick back his hair and then came back and did Elvis impersonations and had everyone on the tables. Hell yeah. So he's an improviser. Yes. Like he, and he knows how to ride the vibe. Yes, exactly. He's not trying to impose his own thing on other people. Yes. He's sensing what other people need to have fun, and he will fit himself into what that yes, is. Yes, he can uh, He can bend himself and adapt to, uh, uh, you know, allow history to flow through him. He's kind of the, op- he's like an auteur, but not. He's like an invisible auteur. Yeah. Like he, he's the architect of your, of your fun, but it has nothing to do with him and everything to do with you. Yes. Oh. He's, he's cool. Um, he So one of those people who believed in Jimmy Buffett is Don Light. He's another music guy. He <laughs> always He's a guy who always kept a can of Budweiser in his shirt pocket. Sure. <laughs> and he became Jimmy's manager. Um, he, uh, he found some success in Texas. I guess Texas was a, a particular state where he could like make a living as a singer. Sure. Which Don Light I mean, facilitated. A lot of big... As I'm finding putting a tour together in Texas, a lot of big cities that are easy to drive to from each other, yeah, but you, with discreet audiences. Yeah. So if you can if you can fit into that, you're good to go. Um, and then ABC Dunhill, the label, bought uh, Cartwheel Records because they wanted to try to get into the music genre or the mm-hmm. country music genre. And then Jimmy got signed there. So he this was his... Uh, his big major debut. Ma- major label uh, uh, ascension. So then he starts grinding. I think he puts out like... Six albums in five years. Yes, from I'm looking through the all music right now, and from 1973 just to 77, it's 73, a white sport clo- coat and a pink crustacean. Mm-hmm. 74, living and dying in three fourths time. Mm-hmm. 74, A1A. 75, Rancho Deluxe. 76, Havana Daydreaming. Uh, seven, also 76, 
high Cumberland Jubilee and 77 changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes. Yeah. So he goes, he goes ham in the stewed. Um, and uh, and he, then he's still mo- at least once a year starting in 78, but then augmented by live records. Live records. Yeah, totally. Um, so he, he, this music that he is making at this time he's is in his mixtape era. He's in his mixtape era. <laughs> uh, the, the PR says that he's making spacey up country tunes strewn with forgotten crab traps. <laughs> Crop drops. <laughs> Crop traps. Spacey up country tunes strewn with forgotten crab traps. I just look that's that's some fucking great copy i see that in the pr and i'm like look i'm pu- i'm throwing this disc on to even see what the see what this sounds like I don't, I don't mean to be a hater but like i do think music writing in general just as like a uh a, a, as an art has fallen off real bad in the digital era as why wouldn't it if you can just hear what a song sounds like what what's the point of describing it but then you miss these sort of poetic moments where yeah you can describe a song as littered with crab traps anyway uh so yeah he's he's grinding in the studio he also gets a real band he had a fake band with imaginary members called the Coral Reefer Band. Okay. Uh, members Are these just such like session guys? K Pasa and Alvocado. <laughs> and then he is, actually gets real. Is it guys. just like him playing every part or is it just like session guys? Session guys. Okay, okay, okay. And then he, because he needs to start really touring as a band, he gets members like Roger Bartlett, which, which was the original guitarist, and Fingers Taylor, who was a harmonica player. Uh, <laughs> Why would you call a guy who plays harmonica fingers? Fingers. You don't use your fingers to play the harmonica. You, hold, you have to hold the harmonica. That's a hand. You can do. You can literally <laughs> hold it on a stick. I would like to see you try. We have a harmonica in the house. I would like to see you try to hold it without your fingers. Can Bob Dylan? Bob Dylan plays the harmonica without his fingers all the time. He has the harmonica band. How do you get the harmonica in the band? Somebody else can load it. Fingers. Fingers. Don't don't erase his his fingers when what the fingers do. Um, so maybe we should listen to a couple, uh, a song or two from just this like early to mid seventies era. Yeah. I'm going to pull up one from a one a great. I'm looking at a one a, this is 74. This is the second album. Uh, actually let's move on to uh, living and dying in three fourths time because I, I like that title better. Okay. Uh, this is going to be, let's go with, Oh, this is, this is the first big single. What? Come, Come Monday. Monday? Right. Yes. All right, so here's come Monday off of the of the uh, the Jimmy Buffett's uh, "Living and Dying Three Fourths Time," uh, the cover of which, again, going going along with these ironic and I think evocative of what his whole vibe is. The cover to this album is Jimmy Buffett sitting on top of a schooner, like a small fishing boat, uh, called named the Good Luck, mm-hmm. that is halfway sunk into a bed. Yeah. Heading out to San Francisco For the Labor Day weekend show I got my hush puppies on I guess I never was meant for glitter rock and roll (laughs) And honey, I didn't know That I'd be missing you so come Monday Do you think Ezra Koenig loves likes uh, Jimmy Buffett. I think he respects him at the very least. The intersection of boat shoes and, and rock and roll. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett. Nautical. Ezra Koenig. Koenig. Y- the original yacht rock, one might say. Yep. Yes, it's been quite a summer. Rent a cars and westbound trains. And now you're off on vacation. Something you tried to explain 
And darling, it's I look so That's the reason I just let you go Come it's a little a little saccharine, but you know it's 1970. Uh, what is it's it? like 1973 or something? Yeah, 74. That that was the uh, overall yeah. national mood. But it's not. You know, it's 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 sweet. Yeah, it's got a it's got a tune to it. He sounds a uh, James Taylor. James Taylor, that's a good pull. Yeah. But unlike James Taylor, he James Taylor had a bunch of hits. <laughs> He's got a good voice. Um, yeah. But yeah, the music still isn't isn't quite anything in particular. It's a little folky, a little country. Yeah. It's got those uh, lush strings. But it's a chill. I could imagine hearing this on a radio in a beachside bar and being like, sounds good. Yeah. With you, I'd walk anywhere. California has worn me quite thin. California's one we got quite then. People mm. were over with California by 1974. They were know? either they were dreaming and then they were uh, re- rejecting. They're trying to check out, but they couldn't leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, maybe one more from this era. Can we listen to a pirate looks at forty? Yes, was that? I think that was also off A One M. Great. Let me go back uh, to A One A. Also 1974. I mean, this is all made in the same year. Uh, a pirate looks at forty off of A One A. This is the previous album, but same year. I guess that would be a thing. Fing- well, actually, no. They, he didn't have his live band play on uh, recorded stuff until a few years after that. So not fingers, I don't think. Mother, mother, ocean. I have heard. He's got the marimbas in the background. Wanted to say. On your waters since I was three feet tall. You've seen it all. You've seen it all. Watch the man who rode you switch from sails to steam. And in your belly, you hold the treasures you have ever seen. Most of them dream. <laughs> Most of them dream. So this was written about a chart room regular yes, named uh, Phil Clark, who I guess was kind of like a an old sort pirate. of smuggler type, uh, uh, who is now kind of you know in the second half of his life. Midlife pirate midlife crisis is a fruitful topic. Yeah, I mean you can only be uh, a carefree ne'er-do-well for so long the the sea is a corrosive <laughs> yeah. uh, substance and, ev- and eventually yeah the sea is a corrosive su- substance eventually you have to start being a, a careworn and a, 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 perhaps a right do well <laughs> you say that you, you end up looking like a davy jones or yeah. uh, a bootstrap bill turner just covered in clams yeah <laughs> becoming a squid everywhere. man, squid yeah. man. I mean, the, those are the, those are the two directions for an old sea dog. <laughs> See, this feels a little more like of the fool Jimmy thing with like the the chorus in the background, you know, fooler. Just to 
instrumentation, the congas, the marimbas, the yeah. harmonica. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> you know, it's slow, a lilting, but the beat is propulsive. It's got a groove. Yeah, sway can, to you it. Can, you can. This is not, you know, harsh, abrasive, uh, annoying music. Yeah, but it's not not also like necessarily like wimpy either. You know, there, no. there's there's stuff going on. Yeah. Live That's a pirate looks at 40. Yeah. So I guess that is a, there, I don't think this was listed in the book, but there is a list of, um, there's a, the big eight uh, songs that were played at basically every, every Jimmy concert. Buffett show and up until 2003. And that's one of them. Um, so he's, he's grinding. He come Monday charted barely, but other than that, he's like not doing numbers, but he's not losing the music label any money. Mm -hmm. They're not spending a lot of money on him and he's not spending a lot of money to, uh, get things done. So he's kind of like, uh, vibrating at a, at a a comfortable equilibrium. He's, He's vibing. He's chilling. He's chilling. Uh, he starts working a little bit more Rancho Deluxe, which you mentioned in his run of 1970s albums. That's actually a, a movie score slash soundtrack, which he apparently wrote in 24 hours. <laughs> and when he would play it live, he used to say to uh, uh, this, oh, what is his name? Uh, Utley, Michael Utley, who is the musical director of the Coral Reef Band. Uh, he would say, uh, wow, 24 hours, that's a lot of coffee. And Utley would go, it wasn't coffee, please. <laughs> Um, boop, boop, do we boop. have I'm sure we're going to get to this do we have a sense of Jimmy's substance re- regimen let's get into it okay. so he he, uh, he at this point he's, he starts going from songwriter to laid back ideal so he's he, he's becoming more of a persona uh, but he's also a, an extremely organized dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's described as a benevolent, a benevolent dictator who nevertheless had a very positive attitude. So he was working people hard, but he was bringing. He was he was in the uh, you know he he wasn't uh, holding any, anyone emotionally hostage. And also, I I read between the lines. I imagine he was the vision. Like it was like the the idea of what the thing is is Jimmy. It is subsumed within him. Yeah. It is Jimmy Buffett, yeah. but it is also all from his head. So it's like. Yeah. Just follow the boss, but the boss will, will like a good pirate captain. Like a good pirate captain. The, follow the boss, but the boss will also, you know, take you to good keep you keep you happy, keep you well drunk, keep you well fed, and then eventually make you rich. Well that that's the thing. Uh I think the other way they described it was that, you know, twenty two and a half hours of the day, I don't give a shit what you do, but for one and a half hours you need to play good. Yeah. And then at the twenty two and a half hours elsewhere, uh you can do whatever you want, uh and have fun. I like to think of that as my management style as well. The band developed into a stoned wrecking crew. <laughs> uh Roger Bartlett, the guitarist, uh he said of uh the party scene, he said, I'd bring a girl backstage and go out to get us drinks. By the time I got back, she'd be with somebody else and I had two drinks to get rid of. That's how I ended up with a drinking problem. <laughs> so they were drinking a lot, mm-hmm. smoking a lot of pot, doing a lot of cocaine. Okay. Uh, that that was the the vibe. Meanwhile, <laughs> the war on drugs Starts gets underway. Uh, there is a... I, you remember I said I was going to say the word conch several times in this recording. There's mm-hmm. something called Operation Conch, which took down 19 Key West drug dealers, including the fire chief. <laughs> The fire chief whose name was... Good good position to be dealing drugs from. The fire chief's name was Joseph Bum Farto. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I was drinking that. I almost spit it out. But Bumfardo, who Bumfardo, <laughs> Bumfardo got indicted and then he disappeared. Uh, Nobody's seen Bumfardo since. No one has. At least I, ha- I haven't. I didn't do any follow up research, but uh, he, he could be in another beach town, maybe somewhere in Mexico, uh, perhaps with a brick of cash that he took with him. But for a while in Key West, people would wear T-shirts that would say "Where's Bumfardo." <laughs> <laughs> I would like to get a Where's Bumfardo t-shirt. Totally. Oh, I'm sure they sell those. Yeah. Uh, t- t-shirt sales, also a very important um, aspect of this of narrative. The, okay, great. I mean, look, it's something I've been wrestling with on Chapo Tours because, look, not that Chapo really wants to make some money, but I know that if you really want to make some money in this industry, you sell the fucking merch. But we're a lean operation. It's just the, the four of us on this tour. I'm not dragging all that fucking merch around. Do you have any idea how much work it is even to just get posters to these fucking shows? Yeah, there's it a sucks. reason that's there's like a guy who does yes. that. Well, I'm the guy. Well, that's you, could, you could hire a guy. I could hire a guy. But I won't because I'm not, uh, look, I'm not trying to gouge uh, our listeners of the money. All I want to do is get like one good piece of merch to the fans that want it each tour just in case you want it as a little memento you say i don't, don't want to gouge them they say i want a piece of memorabilia man that's true they i love getting the t-shirt. merch too t-shirts rock i we love have good merch designs. i have so much merch <sighs> look if we ever bump up to another higher level of tour you know above like our three to five hundred person zones i'll and maybe if I ever get an assistant, uh, we'll figure it out. Get into Buffett mindset. Jimmy Buffett would just be, he'd be hiring out the, uh, the he'd be yeah. creating the organ, org chart to make this happen. You know what I need to do? I'm going, on yes. the southern, <laughs> I'm going on this southern tour now. And in it, thinking about the merch, I need to change my latitude and change, change my attitude. attitude. What's this? this changes in oh, latitude, the, changes I, in the attitude. Title track, okay. Um... All right, keep going. Well, the other thing I was going to say is that um, uh, par- part of the evidence of Jimmy Buffett as a benevolent dictator and someone who had the image of a partier but who was actually quite organized, busy, and grinding is that one guy and his crew caught him in his room with stacks of receipts everywhere doing financial paperwork to send to his label and he said don't tell anyone you saw this <laughs> it's like after the show uh <laughs> you know typically you bust open the door and it's like the drain bottle of jack and just powder everywhere and like maybe your arm t- uh tied off and it's like you know your guitarist comes in as like Jimmy, man, what the fuck? And you're like, don't, t- don't tell anyone I'm a monster. But instead, he's got like the green visor on and like the ratcheting, like adding machine, you know, uh, reconciling receipts. Yep, that's very funny. Yeah, that's that's the magic of Jimmy. He's uh he's got it all uh tight on the back end. Uh, he's keeping the balance sheets. Uh, you you gotta have a balance sheet, as with all things in life. Yes, balance. You gotta have a balance sheet. Good times that brought so much pleasure makes me want to go back again. If it suddenly ended tomorrow, I could somehow adjust to the fall. Good times and riches and son of a bitches, I've seen more than I can recall. These changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes, nothing remains quite the same. There you go. There you go. You gotta have a little. You gotta have fun with it. 
I feel like we 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 got Jimmy Buffett pilled like immediately during this recording. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm just like yeah, man, it's all about just keep it positive, just have keep a positive. laugh, have a drink. If you uh, if you can't have a laugh, you can't have a drink. You'll go insane. You'll go insane. That comes up in a few of his songs. If we, we what's his line? It's like if we weren't all crazy, we'd go insane or something like that. Something like that. There's another part about I gotta have a drink before I go insane in five o'clock somewhere. That, yeah, the Alan Jackson song. Yeah, but, but it, we'll which, get, which yeah. he, he gets on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, he's he gets into his uh, middle middle mid seventies period. This is seventy seven, by the way. Changes in latitudes. Key West. Meanwhile, uh, there's a revitalization project called the Downtown Seventy Six uh, Revitalization <laughs> Project. So they're desperately trying to get money in uh, at a time when. Um, you know, Americans apparently used to not go on vacation f- very far. Yeah. And that was something that I think started picking up in the 70s uh, was the idea of like leaving state, like going over state lines to like. Yeah. Another to, to another place. So like that's all uh, burbling up. I Jimmy like- also bought his first boat. <sighs> 33 foot uh, sailboat. This is, this is a bit, it feels like an eventful moment in his, his life. Yeah. Well, he's the son of a son of a sailor. So, you know, well, now he's a sailor, too. Yeah, he's a he's a boat guy. Also, I love Downtown Seventy Six because that sounds like it would be the name of like a uh, like a, a new museum art display about like uh, you know the the punk scene in New York. Oh, oh, I was getting like <laughs> bicentennial vibes, like uh, really square, patriotic. Oh no, vibes. I was thinking like Downtown Seventy Six. Okay, it feels yeah, like yeah. such a New Yorky term, but yeah. like no Downtown Seventy Six, the Key West Revitalization pro- yeah. Program. Yeah. So I think they like fixed the road that the conch train was on, <laughs> for example. Uh, so, you know, things are changing. He finally convinces ABC Dunhill that with the kind of balance sheet that he's personally representing, he wants to have his live band record with him instead of session musicians. And he finally has the clout to do so. So he brings them in. I think uh, Changes in Attitude, Changes in Latitude is the first album where the whole crew plays with him. Uh, and he's got a producer, Norbert Putnam, who <laughs> introduced, uh, quote, Trinidad steel drums, wooden flutes, etc. And then Jimmy, I guess, in the recording of that particular album, uh, he's like listening to some tracks back and he says, Norbert, this stuff sounding really good on a sailboat. If we could make a record that was good to put on boats, how many records could we sell? <laughs> I mean, I get where he's coming from, but the answer I would say if I was a real business minded by- guy in the 70s was like, not that many people own boats, Jimmy. <laughs> but it's I think if you look toward, you know, where where the uh trend is going, if more and more people are getting on island time, yeah. you're there at the beginning ready to I mean, to yeah, you, if you are and, again the poet poet laureate of island time, uh then, you know, you you can plant that flag early. Yeah. This is also the record with we I I, I feel like we've been tr- loading tracks in this. Uh but we got to play it. Margaritaville we, we got to do Margaritaville, obviously. This is like Jimmy's The main, song. This is the song. Not every artist gets the song. It's both... He's somehow like a one-hit wonder who has the richest, uh, thickest career. Yes. Uh, so he wrote this song in... He said he wrote it in six minutes overall. And it was after... Uh, uh, a lot like Blink-182's Damn It. Another uh, epic song. Uh, he wrote it in Austin after drinking away an afternoon in a Mexican restaurant in a strip mall. Okay. Uh, and he w- was getting on a plane later that day and he, he thought about uh, what the afternoon that he just had. And he said, those margaritas tasted good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how hot of a take this is, but a margarita is one of the best drinks. And as this book pointed out, 
people weren't always drinking like frozen margaritas. Mm-hmm. Like this was not like a national cocktail. Like now I think well, we now take did for it granted. Specify the kind of margarita that he was drinking. Rocks, salt rim, slush of uh, like frozen like you know, slush margarita. That's a good question. I I don't remember. I could maybe look it up afterwards. Like what is Jimmy's preferred like style? That's a great question. Hot. And, that's a hot ones question. What? Yeah. How do you take your margarita? Hi, Molly from the edit. Um, I did have to look this up because I couldn't leave everyone hanging of what Jimmy Buffett's preferred margarita style is. And I found a USA Today article that quotes a 2018 interview uh, that says the beach bum icon sent shockwaves through Margaritaville when he revealed he no longer imbibes his signature drink. Instead, he prefers straight tequila on the rocks and typically only on weekends. The reason for this change, change in attitude, change in latitude, is that that uh, he says that margaritas have gotten too sweet. Uh, Jimmy Buffett and I now have something in common, which is that the older we get, the more we enjoy, uh, you know, sour, bitter, evil things as opposed to extremely sweet drinks. So feeling in community with Jimmy Buffett today. All right, bye. I think if you asked him what tequila, he would probably say his own brand of spirits. Was he a pioneer in the having your own brand of spirits realm he sure was we'll get we'll get to that in a bit uh, okay but I mean, he's what a genius i love jimmy buffett so the the uh margaritaville he wrote it you know after drinking a strip mall and it became uh not even a number one hit i hit i think it peaked at number eight um but let's play margaritaville certainly an enduring classic yeah all right this is jimmy buffett's margaritaville off of 1977's changes in latitudes changes in attitudes you hear those flutes you hear the the steel drums nibbling on sponge cake <laughs> watching the sun bake all of those tourists covered with oil <laughs> strumming my six strings on my front porch swing Smell of shrimp there beginning to boil Wasting away again in Margaritaville The slate rolled the R That twist at the end. Someone to say. Some people say there's a woman to blame, but I know it's nobody's fault. Mm-hmm. The rest of the song is so slight. This is gonna get into what I, my big take about uh, yeah. Jimmy Buffett later. But then that's a little thing, that little knife jab of of wistfulness, of regret, of darkness to it. Again, putting a pin on that. Yeah. go through this course and all. Yeah. Some people claim that there's a warm Now I think I love that little like 
All right. Nice. Nice. Oh, just just lovely little song. It'd be funny if we caught our first ever uh, copyright claim. uh, If uh, Jimmy Buffett has a uh, a podcast listener to try to (laughs) to catch unauthorized uses of his songs. Yes. Uh, This is all. This is a. It's critical. B. This is all in praise of Jimmy. Sure. It's very clear in listening to his earlier songs and then that one of just how everything really synthesizes into like yeah. the perfect package. Yeah, it's all right here. And I, again, I think like uh, from the his early like singer songwriter stuff, I, I don't think it, it can be undersold that the the songs are like fairly musically dense. Like there's a lot going on in a Jimmy Buffett song yeah. for it to still be very smooth. Like, you know, there are probably at least, I don't know, like 20 instrumental tracks of this or something like that. Uh, and it it just sounds good. It's crisp. It it's clean, but it's dense. It vibes. It go. It it it's propulsive. Even as it's laid back, it's good you, music. You know what it has? It's got that Swedish thing that we talked about before in our in our Swedish pop uh, episodes, which is that uh, it sounds pleasant, but there is some darkness in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily pleasant to be wasted away in margarita no oh yes it's too much fun he's had too much fun and he doesn't know why he's here anymore yes he's talking about whose fault is it i'm like fault why are you talking about fall on vacation because you're not you're actually not having a good time yes so it sounds pleasant but it's actually so there's there's a dark undercurrent yeah yeah uh i do love a flute Wonderful. So that's not a huge hit, but of course, over the next forty years, that becomes like one of the <laughs> the most recognizable songs. Yes. of all time. Yes. Um, and then we should talk about not long after he wrote Margaritaville. I don't think it showed up until the album after that. Uh, but Cheeseburger in Paradise, which was written, <laughs> uh, they were <laughs> docked in Saint Martin. Him uh-huh. and his crew, uh, including his, he had gotten a ship captain by that point named uh, Groovy Gray. <laughs> They had club sandwiches from a French bakery. Mm-hmm. There were topless women lying around everywhere with their titties out, uh, all greased up. It was a beautiful sailing day. And uh, Groovy Gray looks over at uh, Jimmy and says, Bubba, you're just a cheeseburger in paradise. <laughs> and apparently Jimmy like lost his shit. I, I actually don't know whether he gave... Uh, Gave Groovy Gray any any percentage of that. He he is recorded as giving friends who who gave him a little lyrics and stuff like songwriting credits. Yeah, um, but that's Cheeseburger <sighs> in Paradise. Cheeseburger in Paradise. Which I, mean, let's the, I feel that. like we're playing more songs on this than most episodes, even though they're like all vaguely similar. It's just I feel like these Jimmy Buffett songs are like weirdly iconic. Yeah. This is the one that you've been singing to yourself all week. Yeah. I'll just get to the one part where it's the part that you've been singing, yeah. but you can go on. He, he's getting more upbeat, which is also, yeah, I think yeah. he figured out that like uh, ba- ballads are nice and all, but having like a you need some rockers. mid-tempo is good. We're <laughs> in paradise. I just want to get to the breakdown. Yeah. Scoot forward. I like mine with lettuce and tomato, hot 57 and French fried potatoes, big kosher pickle and a cold draft beer. Well, good God almighty, which way do I steer for my cheeseburger in paradise? 
may, may I recommend pairing this song with another song uh, that came out almost at exactly the same time? Devo's Too Much Paranoias, in which they uh, do the um, Burger King uh, Whopper commercial spiel uh-huh. as part of like an insane, jittery, like. Uh, uh, paranoid spiel. It's like, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, uh. special lettuce, don't eat lettuce, you can have it. Wait. It's like probably the exact same year that Buffett is doing this spiel about, yeah. about like, I love having a good burger and Devo's being like, having too many choices is too much to consider. That's <laughs> why I like both of them. Yeah. You know? Sometimes ordering a burger is the greatest thing in life and sometimes it's the most stressful. Two yeah. sides of the same consumerist coin you know we were talking about uh eating a cheeseburger in paradise before and i was saying how to me it was a little bit overrated uh because if you eat this big puck of heavy food then it like kind of sinks right to the bottom of your stomach and then you have to wait a half an hour before you go swimming otherwise you're gonna cramp and then you know maybe you don't look as good in your bathing suit afterwards yeah you feel bloated I, I realized I need to revise that because to me, the cheeseburger in paradise is getting a cheeseburger at Ripper's in Rockaway Beach at the end of the day. Oh, Go spend a, a couple in hours in the, in the salty water, uh, getting nice and crispy, maybe having a couple of beers, and then cap it all off with a, uh, ch- a cheeseburger at one of the. Well, that that's stand. the point of the cheeseburger in paradise. That's the point of it being in paradise, is it's the cheeseburger you never have to think about. And, you gotta, and, and it, it soaks up all the, uh, the alcohol. The, yeah, the, the beach beers oh. that you've had. Oh. Babe. Oh man! <laughs> oh yeah, babe. Oh yeah, babe. Um, I would love a cheeseburger in paradise. Yes. Shit. Not every cheeseburger is the cheeseburger in paradise, but the cheeseburger th- that is the cheeseburger in paradise is like one of the absolute best things that you can. It's true that you can have. Like yep. the the perfect when it when everything hits when the cheeseburger is good when the situation is right when your appetite's in the right place when you mm. when like. When it's all there, it's like one of the absolute best food experiences that you can possibly have. Agreed. He nailed it. He knew. He knew. Bulgur wheat just can't. He understood the assignment. He really did, especially when he did that breakdown saying that he likes uh, French fried potatoes. potatoes. Uh, Referring to fries as French fried potatoes is very good as well. We should definitely do that more. Um, Things start to uh, gain steam, especially in the party zone. People start coming to Key West and knocking on his door with a six pack in their hand because they wanted to get drunk with Jimmy Buffett. Sure. He is getting a reputation as a party animal. Uh, The band starts touring around on Margaritaville as the hit, Mm -hmm. getting more attention, playing bigger shows. The marquee on the Holiday Inn in North Carolina read, Welcome to Margaritaville. (laughs) Uh, Backstage at shows, uh, a hot blonde offered bumps off of of a buck knife that turned out to be pee. PCP. <laughs> Thing, things are uh, getting intense. It doesn't come up that often, but I feel like when like turns out to be PCP, uh, that you get two free spaces on a uh, uh, and introducing bingo. You know, white powder roulette is not a good thing to play. At worst, you pay with your life. At best, you might think, I mean, Lily Allen is a great example. Uh, I highly recommend people, if you like our podcast, you would probably also enjoy following the Instagram account Indie Sleaze, mm-hmm. which is uh, resurfacing lots of photos from the area, uh, the era of uh, you know the mid-2000s to the early teens. And there was an episode where Lily Allen, who I'm a, a big fan of personally, uh, did what she thought was a bump of cocaine at a fashion show, and it turned out it was a bump of ketamine. And she went into a K-hole and had to be uh, shepherded out over the shoulder of her uh, security guard. Uh, so white pow- powders, try to ask what's in it before you do them. <laughs> it's, that's, a, uh, that's a war on drugs I can personally... <laughs> the war on unknown drugs. <laughs> the war on... Uh, yeah, the war on unknown drugs. I just also... I don't think this was intentional, but it is such a genius thing to have the 
it obviously couldn't be intentional, but it is such a stroke of luck that the genius signal single is the name of a location that is both a fa- fantastic place and also a state of mind. Yes. That it can be a synecdoche for Jimmy Buffett himself. Mm-hmm. Any place that he is becomes Margaritaville. It's obviously a place that anybody who hears the idea, almost anybody who hears the idea of Margaritaville wants to be, that is subsumed within him, which is, I think, like the fourth time I've seen it said subsumed. But, but <laughs> that is the thing about Buffett is that he is a guy who is a vibe, who is a place. He's an idea. An idea. He is, dare I say, an influencer. He is. He, which I know an influencer. He's like the Batman of good vibes. He's a, <laughs> influencer is a dirty word now, I think. I think no one wants to be called an influencer. They would rather be called other things. But influence is, when it's used correctly, it's powerful. is powerful and it's important. And if it's influencing people to like try to figure out how to have a better time than the time they're currently having, why not? And it's going to attract people to him because uh, you want to have a better time. Than the other, the other having. quote that gets used about Jimmy Buffett is folk hero, mm. which I actually think is that he does seem like he's got a sort of Johnny Appleseed yes. vibes. Seeding Margaritavilles everywhere Spor- he goes. Yeah, pour- pouring margaritas <laughs> into the ground. Into the ground yes. everywhere he everywhere he walks. Uh, he also gets married uh, around this time in the late 70s. He had one marriage that flamed out before he even ended up in Key West to begin with. But this is a woman named Jane Slagsvall. <laughs> uh, she's described as a compassionate Vulcan. Do you know what that means? A Vulcan, like a Star Trek thing? Yeah. I mean, uh, the... You know, the the Vulcans like Spock were like beings of pure logic and reason. Okay, that makes sense then. Mm-hmm. So she's, but she's in a nicer way than maybe a, a, a cold, uh, elegant Vulcan would be. She's yeah. got a little bit more per- personable. Well, it sounds like maybe they're the yin and yang of he is the, uh, the, the logical, reasonable, responsible party animal and she is the compassionate Vulcan. Yeah. He's the one. He's the one taking a break from the from the bumps and the the six packs to go do uh, receipts. Yeah, and maybe she's the one who uh, will take a break from doing the uh, the bumps and the or take a break from doing the uh, receipts to go do a bump and a six pack. I think that sounds more or less correct. Uh, their wedding invitation. I know you're gonna like this. It said there will be a party. At some point during that party, Jimmy and Jane will get married. Then the party will go until it is over. <laughs> Oh God! I wish we could. I wish we could have sent out an invitation like that. Do you also wish that a uh, Hunter S. Thompson could come to your bachelor party uh, wearing a three-piece suit and offering acid on a silver tray? Yes, that's, that's very what funny because Jimmy because Hunter Thompson dresses like Jimmy Buffett normally, but then when you go to Jimmy Buffett's bachelor party, you got to wear a three-piece suit. He stepped he stepped his pussy up a little bit. <laughs> Uh, he so yeah uh, Jimmy Buffett Hunter S. Thompson good friends hanging out in Aspen uh, I'm sure the Owl, the, Owl Ranch. the uh, ski slopes were not the or only Owl things uh, uh, covered in white powder oh god if, if I was going to hang out with Hunter Thompson because he does seem obviously a little intense I would like to hang out with Hunter Thompson at a Jimmy Buffett Hunter Thompson hang seems good yeah. seems great um, I've, I don't even know how much we've talked about uh, Hunter S. Thompson on the pod, but I do think I really appreciate that his thing basically was like getting addled and blowing stuff up. Yes. It is like the perfect id of like what a man is. Yes. Like at the end of the day, don't you just want to like have explosions and like uh, get high? Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> or as one of my uncles said that his dream was to have a bar to, he wanted to move to Montana and own a bar with quote, a place to shoot out back. Yeah. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a target range. No. It wasn't like the indoor like thing or like a skeet shooting. It was just like enough space out back that you could have a few beers and then go and just 
look into the distance and like unload a gun into a tree line. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah. I would like to do that. Yeah. I would like, and you know, obviously I would wear goggles and I would wear head foot, <laughs> like the, 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 the head things, mm-hmm. but just clear everybody in an 180 degree field mm-hmm. of vision in front of me. And then just like shoot a gun wildly into the air. Yeah. I think that someone like Johnny Depp, who seemed to have basically internalized Hunter S. Thompson's whole thing yeah. to ne- much negative effect. Like, well, he, yeah, I don't think he had the genius or the intellectual drive of Hunter Thompson, which is the buoy that keeps everything else afloat. And you know who I think has encountered Hunter S. Thompson vibes and kind of stayed strong in his own self is Jimmy Buffett. Yes. You, you, you got to have well, a I powerful think he had the drive of your and, own. And a, like, you know, to Buffett's credit, a sense of aesthetic that keeps everything, you know, there is he's a North Star thing. to mm-hmm. drive towards. Yep. He's got and his thing. Un- and unfortunately thing. for uh, for uh, Depp, being a good actor is not a North Star because it just means that you can do do what other people tell you well. It is not a guiding principle. You need You do need... I mean, this is getting off the rails, but yeah, if you're an actor, you do need like almost like a secondary thing. Yeah. Like Paul Newman was salad dressing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know how much of the salad dressing actually gave the drive as much as it licensed his image. (laughs) I mean, he, what, did he not participate heartily in his own salad dressing? We'll we'll take a, We'll take a closer look at this later. I, I have no idea how closely Paul I'll Newman st- participated in the Newman zone. It's just, you know, having an ethos beyond, yeah, beyond being a an drive, actor. an aesthetic, a, a, a forward momentum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you do get, dare I say, lost in the sauce. You get lost in the sauce. Um, so that's that's Jimmy's like late 70s. He replaces his, and oh, it also says that he does, he kind of ends up trapped in the character he created mm-hmm. because if all people want to do is get in your face and say, hey, Jimmy, let's do a line. Hey, Jimmy, let's chug a beer. That's, he he is more than that. Yeah. And it's really annoying when punishers start coming up and uh, saying that that's all you are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's that's kind of the, uh, the flip side of that, that sort of party era of his. He replaces his manager, Don Light, with uh, Irving Azoff, who is like a legendary, like a uh, son of a bitch, I would say. <laughs> Someone remembers Irving, like uh, he while he's on the phone screaming at someone about a completely different topic, he's also writing, rerouting a Jimmy Buffett tour. Like he's just like a really intense, intense like professional guy. Brain. Yeah. Uh, of the, the uh, founder of the Azov battalion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the 70s become the 80s. Jimmy and Jane had a kid. Uh, MCA records bought ABC records. Uh, he shifted to a more country sound for a spell in the 80s. Uh, but, you know, in kind of seeking out what maybe would be his next hit, he realizes that Margaritaville might be the thing and start to, starts to organize his own principles around that being like the center, at least the center of his career and not being like annoyed about it uh, yeah. or resentful. Which there. honestly is a, the kind of thing that just signals, again, a smart operator being like, if you having the wherewithal to recognize that your one hit wonder that you have a body of work that you have fans and that your one hit wonder is like not an anchor dragging you down but the a guiding principle to structure everything else around again he's able to flow yes he's able to flow very important uh so margaritaville 
becomes more than a song and more than a mindset. It's a uh, lifestyle. A lifestyle and also a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the point in the book, as it always happens, where the music turns into a business. Uh, it is the rare book where that is a good thing. Mm-hmm. He it, it starts from a, a trademark dispute because the restaurant Chi-Chi's... Yes, I've, I've, I've seen Chi-Chi's. Chi-Chi's. I may have even been to a Chi-Chi's. Chi-Chi's started doing a Margaritaville promotion and uh, someone in Jimmy's orbit was like, yo, Jimmy, uh, this could be kind of taking a bite out of your whole thing. Should you like file a suit and say they can't do it because it has nothing to do with you? And so there was a lawsuit that needed to prove uh, that a restaurant was a natural extension of a musician's career, Mm -hmm. uh, a.k.a. the next 30 years (laughs) of everyone's life. Uh, (laughs) That was what if a musician was a restaurant? What if a musician was a restaurant? Uh, (laughs) But Margaritaville really first started as T-shirts. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a T-shirt store in Key West uh, that, you know, it, people were kind of like, hey, Jimmy, uh, can we, like, sell some shit that is your merch there yeah. permanently? And uh, they had tried out Jimmy Buffett merch with Jimmy Buffett as an image on the merch. It didn't work because people didn't want to think of themselves as Jimmy Buffett. They they wanted to think that anybody could do it. Yes. What he did, which was in- professionally enjoy himself. So uh, the artist Jim Mazzotta drew a parrot holding a drink. And therefore, the, the Jimmy Buffett was brand was born. Uh, meanwhile, the lawsuit took on a life of its own where Jimmy Buffett and co started to realize that Margaritaville could be something that could be a brand that could be a restaurant that people would like. There was a Margaritaville cafe that opened in, um, oh gosh, uh, 1984 in Gulf Shores, Alabama. There was a hurricane a year later and it closed, but <laughs> the seed was planted. That, that's an, another uh, common refrain in this book. It's like, oh, well, you know, hurricane season really fuck things up. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens when you're in the Gulf. Uh, meanwhile, uh, at Jimmy's shows, people were starting to notice uh, a contingent called Parrot Heads, younger, tropically bedazzled crowds uh, that would tail- basically tailgate his performances. Yeah, start do- doing like a gate- Grateful Dead thing, right? Exactly. Yes. Uh, then the Parrot Heads started to have kids, parakeets. Oh! And, uh, <laughs> parakeets. And oh, therefore, uh, sometimes lyrics would get changed from, say, the song, Why Don't We Get Drunk and Screw, to Why Don't We Get Milk in School? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, and then the dream of the Margaritaville uh, brick and mortar location continued. There was one that opened in Miami in 1987. By the next year, it did a million in sales. So, like, you it see, took people off. want the idea of Margaritaville is so potent as just like an Oz, like an escape. Oh, God, it, it is so funny that it's such a simple idea. And maybe this is the point to to drop my big thesis about Jimmy Buffett. Bring it on. No better uh, time. That I be, I listened to a bunch of Jimmy Buffett songs the last few days. And we've been talking about it, tiptoeing around it a lot. But there is this undercurrent of wistfulness to it. Mm-hmm. Like they are, as, as my dad said, I don't know, he writes songs about being on vacation. Yeah. Right. And so it should be like, you know, the, the over premise is having fun, being on vacation, you know, just being on the beach, drinking a drink, whatever. The underpremise is escape. Escape. That you and that means that there needs to be something that you're escaping from. And a lot of his songs, I think, have a um an element of like the song itself is a wish to not be part of the dreary life that you have mm-hmm. and ex- instead 
have some embody some fantasy like the entire song isn't just like here's a song written from fantasy land this is a song written from normal dreary late 20th century america imagining a fantasy land somewhere yeah and that i think is the real power of jimmy buffett is that a lot of his writing is kind of wryly sarcastically based uh not in in pure escapism but in fantasizing about escaping yes then acknowledging that the escape itself is a fantasy yes you can't escape yeah you that one can't escape but all you know but also that like even the escape itself is depressing because it's depressing because you eventually have to go back yep. or that you, uh, or that, uh, you get end up lost in the escape somehow mm-hmm. that there is a, a dark edge to imagining perfection. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, you, you can eat the cheeseburger in paradise, but it's a little like, you know, it's like the, the Lotus eaters in, in Odysseus <laughs> or something, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, eventually it's eventually you're, you're going to pay the, pay the price for it or, even getting to the cheeseburger in paradise, you're going to, you're is going to be impossible or something. Yeah. And so that's why, like, I think that the idea of the Margaritaville and just through the song itself and through the brick and mortar is so such a compelling thing. And no wonder it becomes so expensive or uh, profitable so quickly because it does in its very being, you know, everything about it of being like, I get to go inside the escape for yeah. a second, but also it is the Margaritaville, so I get to leave. Yes. I know the I know what this connotes in its full in its entirety, even if it's just basically an Applebee's or whatever. Yeah. But it has like that vibe printed all all over it. Yeah, it's something that is understandable. Yeah. Like the idea of a vacation that never ends is that's heaven, right? It's basically mm. like going to heaven. Which or is, going to hell. Or going to hell, depending yeah, depending yeah. on who you're asking. Uh so you can't really like it's like trying to look at God. You can't. Yes. Uh because he'll kill you. Yes. Like they, <laughs> like he did in the Old Testament. Uh there there's literally a, a story of someone of him being like, Don't look at me, and the guy is like, Oh, but can I do it for just, just for a, a minute? Bit? And then he just like zaps no. him into oblivion. So yeah, the the idea of a of a permanent vacation is a, is a myth. It it can't be done. But what is comprehensible to Americans especially is going into a place for an hour and a half, getting a cheeseburger and a couple of alcoholic beverages, and then uh, leaving again. Yeah, and I think that's the difference in the vibe between like a Margaritaville and an Applebee's because Applebee's is like this is your neighborhood restaurant. This is you. This is like when you go into Applebee's, the, you are like being this is completely normal and this is part of your everyday everyday life yeah and we are you and you are us whereas you go to margaritaville and you're like i'm not I'm, yeah i've i've left suburban des moines i'm not here i'm in margaritaville yeah it's a state of mind i visited for a little bit and i leave i'm on island time now i'm on island time yeah i've changed i i, I, I changed I, my clocks it's not even i i haven't even done it physically but spiritually i've changed latitude i've changed attitude and then yeah. you leave and then it's gone yeah uh, Margaritaville that just opened up in Times Square are changing our latitude would be uh, I guess taking the subway up to uh, Times Square yes, exactly <laughs> not a latitude I would o- often want to change we briefly considered if it would be possible to do this episode live from a dinner at Margaritaville Times Square but it seemed too impossible <laughs> yeah seems like it would be loud in there well I, audio quality notwithstanding I feel like they would get mad at us that too <laughs> we'd have to get a press pass if, if that is a thing or I'd have to sneak in like lav mics so we could just like under undercover dining style yeah, undercover dining podcasting um so maybe someday so yeah that that was the beginning of margaritaville uh 
the New Orleans uh, was a location that uh, followed. Then there was this private equity dude named John Colin who came on board and they started Margaritaville Holdings. Okay. Because you got to get your, your LLCs uh, uh, in Absolutely, order yeah. uh, to, to keep things rolling in that way. Meanwhile, th- this is my favorite little bit of synergy, uh, reverse synergy, is that the liquor company Seagram bought MCA. So at this point <laughs> now, uh, Jimmy Buffett w- once was on ABC, which got bought by MCA, which is now owned by Seagram's. Uh, Edgar Bronfman Jr. Uh, of Seagram came with an offer to license Margaritaville in Orlando. Uh, that opened in 1999. Steve Wynn mm-hmm. licensed Margaritaville in Vegas. Uh, so it really kind of exponentially uh, went underway. But it- all the while, I feel like this is folding into Buffett himself becoming like just not like a a cult tour guy. Yeah, he started touring. Kind of, it, he uh, the book says that he uh, between oh God nineteen ninety and two thousand three was in the top ten touring acts in the United States, yeah. up there with Bruce Springsteen and uh, uh, like Elton John and yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know <laughs> and the book was like but bruce springsteen doesn't doesn't have a uh, um you know a new jersey motel uh a depressing new jersey motel <laughs> to like think about your your uh, your life yes at. yes yes so yeah the, <laughs> the business the brand is strong and the business is good jimmy's uh, estimated net worth is 550 million dollars by now uh by now <laughs> oh god i mean g- good on jimmy and it's like Sometimes all you just need it, all you need is a little bit of talent and some good vibes. Yeah, and uh, I, I, this is where my business uh, knowledge is weak. Is that it's not like he personally invested in, uh, you know, a brick and mortar location and the staffing and all the materials you need. He licensed. He's it's his name. It's his too. name. That's the value. He's not doing like operations for yeah. these places. It's all outsourced, so he can focus on. I mean, being I, Jamie I don't know if you still had this in your notes you were going to say, but you were, you know, the thing they were saying is the value. You told me this the other day. There is no Tommy Bahama. There's no Tommy Bahama. There is a Jamie Buffett. Yes. He is real. Yes. He's and he licensed, licensed the Margaritaville. Yeah. Fuck, I want to go to Margaritaville. I want the cheeseburger in paradise. Give me the Margaritaville. I don't care if it costs the Margaritaville Margarita. I don't care if they each cost $25. I, I want to go. There's a Margaritaville hotel. I want to spend a night in it. Okay. Let's go. Uh, this um, is all with it. That's, that's part of the, the allure. It's all within our grasp. Yeah. Um, the last bit of yes. uh, lore is that not only did uh, Jimmy get his bag, uh, he really got his bag up. He musically, things came full circle in the end. He appeared on the Alan Jackson uh, 2003 song, It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. And that song was Jimmy's first country number one. So he finally hit number one. Uh, he didn't fit in with country basically his entire first like two decades of his career. It was never quite the right uh, vibe or energy. But then every country music in the 2000s was heavily influenced by Jimmy Buffett. Just look at Kenny Chesney. Kenny Chesney went from She Thinks My Tractor Sexy to uh, like an island guy basically. Yeah. He bought a boat and uh, did he went and full that kind Jimmy of Buffett wry mode. like jokey humor that's like all over modern country. And even like the t- Jimmy Buffett like cadence yeah is like i mean obviously there's a lot of cadences that people draw you know influence from in country but like yeah he's he's a a country hero yeah if you made uh the expendables of country you would have to put jimmy buffett in. well that's what he basically did for his 2004 album license to chill which 
<laughs> which it featured uh, guests, you know, he had Kenny Chesney, Toby Keith, like all the people from the, the country music zone at the time. And it premiered at number one. So he had his own album that went number one. And it's funny that he, obviously he doesn't need more money, but I'm sure that it was like a good, like the musical re- reaffirmation for him. Yep. Uh, and plus he's like got his own like Grateful Dead thing going. Yeah, he's chilling. And speaking of the Grateful Dead thing, and then maybe we can we can play play the narrative out with either it's five, five o'clock, o'clock somewhere, somewhere or something off of License to Chill. Uh, there is a recognition at the end of the book that uh, the the band and the music is a little bit beside the point. They are basically the soundtrack for people's tailgate parties. Uh-huh. And he said he understands that, and he he knows what he is to these people. And I think he has a healthy attitude toward it. Uh, he the quote from him was, "You guys throw a great party. We're glad to be your band." <laughs> so it's almost like you know that's perfect. The people like, are yeah. the concert, and then he he is the the backing band. He's still vibing after all these years. Like if if only he could just play play each of these people's individual ha- house parties <laughs> that's probably what people would want him to do yes uh no much respect for jimmy buffett again i know his music is slight but i honestly do think just in terms of overall vibe if you're like constructing the uh like singer songwriter like vibe of america yeah. or at least of white American rock music, I really think that you, it's like Buffett should be up there with like Dylan and Springsteen as like, this is, these are the the moods of, again, white America. But the, but the things that like chronicle the, the, the vibes of the, the, you know, American middle-class person in the, in the 20th century. Yeah. I think that, you know, if you're going to talk about like Springsteen and, and Dylan as these like larger than life, uh, again, uh, did did Dylan win the uh the 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 Nobel Prize Prize in Literature or something? <sighs> Shit, I think he did. Yeah. Uh, again, yes. I think Buffett should be in that conversation. Well, he is in the conversation. It's funny you mentioned Dylan. Uh, Bob Dylan said that he liked Jimmy Buffett in an interview, and in, I think two thousand nine was referenced in the book, and it sent everyone you know straight to the internet, being like, "Is he kidding?" Yeah. Uh, but no, Bob, of course Bob Dylan would like Jimmy Buffett. He is someone who is a a good song, a writer of good of folk good songs, songs. Yeah. With uh, you know, as we said good last episode, folk songs often like one one big guy, like mm-hmm. uh, a song about a guy. <laughs> yes. Who has a who has a mindset uh yeah i mean he's he's florida dylan basically <laughs> that's, that's so right <laughs> oh, it just man. like like again it's like the mark twain of music he's been described as also. the mark twain of music yeah. yeah i mean just like soulful stories about like kind of sad guys but just also trying to have a good time we're all just trying to have a good time here uh i really like five o'clock somewhere Anyway, I think, uh, I guess I, I lived a lot of my life thinking about uh, Buffett as a, uh, a joke, basically. Um, a, a joke beloved by goofballs. Mm. Uh, but as soon as I suggested, or like somebody basically gave us this book in a big stack of music biographies, and as soon as I like really like looked over one day and saw it on the wall and started thinking about it, I was like, I'm fully primed to be fully like Buffett pilled. Yeah. Um, and again, if there are any uh, like Buffett heads out there who end up listening to this and be like, here are some B sides and, and like secret tracks that you guys should be listening to. Please send them my way. I, I would like, uh, I would like the, 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 you know, the, the, the secret best of Buffett. Yeah. 
I would like a buffet of Buffett. Of Jimmy Buffet. A Jimmy Buffet. James, James Buffet. James Buffet. <laughs> I mean, how did you, you come out of this feeling? I felt, I felt good, you know. In, in 2022, uh, can you look at a guy worth $550 million and be like, I like that guy? Seems pretty unlikely. But here we have Jimmy Buffett. It's hard not to like him. It's hard not to like and him. And it's hard not to uh, at least give some respect to someone who seems to have built that kind of empire on the base of being a likable guy. Yeah. I know likable always isn't the best. Uh, I feel like likable has taken some hits in reputation over the years of like what you're supposed to aim at to be a person I think you could do worse than basically just being someone that uh, people enjoy hanging out with and wanting to talk to yeah and in terms of like making a, a ridiculous amount of money uh, you know playing an endless series of shows that lots of people like to go to explicitly because the idea is your shows are a real good time yeah and then like selling merch at those yeah and then also having other ludicrously rich people come to you and be like your name is synonymous with a good time can I just give you like a hundred million dollars to buy the idea of a good time yeah. from you yeah and you're like yeah sure here we go I'd say pull me something tall and strong make it a hurricane before I go insane <laughs> it's only half past twelve See, again, this song is about being at work yes. and fantasizing about getting drunk, about going out to the bar for an hour and a half. In another part of this song, uh, he uh, he he says, "I can get back by two. Or like, if I if I really uh, if I really focus on it. We've already played so many Buffett tracks, but another one I was listening to earlier today. It doesn't matter. It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> yeah, just like this it's little always song. on five in Margaritaville. Come to think of it, yeah, I heard that. Plug the brand. Yeah. Uh, another one. I, I won't play because we already played so many tracks. But another one I was listening to earlier was the song "Banana Banana Republics," which is also off of "Change of Latitudes," which is a. Again, I would I would recommend this as like a fairly, like, kind of dark song about. American expats in like Central American countries, <laughs> like they're theoretically having a good time, but they've all skate are escaping something. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's the IRS, and they're like romancing the senoritas, but like really, is it seedy what they're doing yeah. down there? You know that that mm -hmm. kind of thing. I I feel like that Banana Republic song is a is a good thing to hone in that that like there's something dark, wistful about the the Jimmy Buffett fantasy. You yeah. Know? Well, I th I think that's. I I think I've thought about this a lot, especially like the the idea of escaping, especially via like you know alcohol. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that there's a difference between like escaping and trying to like numb out and like shut down the signal, or escaping of being like I'm not just gonna like go and like get fucked up in the corner and like uh not talk to anybody and just like you know f collapse and fall down. I'm gonna like have a beer and then like talk to the guy who's sitting next to me at the bar. Yeah, yeah. Connect. Connects. Escaping through connection is how you can have a fun time without having it end up uh, horribly wrong in the end. Yeah. Connection and moderation. <laughs> Dare I say, drink responsibly. Uh, Margaritaville responsibly. Margarita responsibly. Uh, sh shout out to Jimmy. Shout uh, out to Jimmy. I'm, I, has he done some bad stuff that we don't know about? I don't know. But we're at the, at the time of recording. Not yet. 
at the time of recording, uh, there is a news item of uh, Kim Kardashian uh, being interviewed for some sort of Vanity Fair cover story. And she says, uh, no one wants to fucking work right now. If uh, if women want to succeed, they should work hard. And a spate of, uh, I don't Shut know if that's the, the right word. Up. A lot of people have spoken up being like, really, Kim, when I worked for you as an unpaid intern and was like running around the city of London trying to find a specific brand of organic honey, uh, I thought I was working hard, but you didn't give me any money. Has that ever happened to Jimmy Buffett? Not that I've heard. He seems to pay people well, give them bonuses, give them songwriting credits. You said that another thing of of this was that uh, like a through line was that if you know Jimmy Buffett at any time sometime in his life he'll eventually try to find a job for you to do yeah like everyone quoted in this book seems to be still in his life somehow Mm -hmm. uh that it's almost like when you once you are part of the the crew yeah the ship crew you're in it for for life as long as you don't fuck up too bad many many stories that we've read uh on this show end up in tragedy and uh bitterness and uh discord not this story it seems like basically everyone who has interacted with him uh has pretty much nothing but nice things to say about him it's a biography he's he should be getting uh, other points of view i mean even his wife who he married at that party where there was a wedding <laughs> at some point during it they got divorced for a while because i think uh, both of them were partying too hard she got sober or they actually didn't get divorced they got separated uh spent like six years apart and then reunited and they're still back together <laughs> a good life all the way a good life all the way how is it as a book uh really entertaining i would i would recommend it if you if you need a, a good beach beach read it's dense. There's, it's dense with information, but uh, everyone is a you know a, a, a schemer, a dreamer, uh, and a contradiction. So it's a <laughs> it's a good read. All right. Well, we're at a uh, good book all the way. A good book all the way. <laughs> all right. We're at an hour thirty. This is a good place to wrap up. Great. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, I have no idea when we're going to get this out. Probably in the next week or so. Yeah. I will be in Texas somewhere. Yeah. Um. So I don't even know what to plug. Nothing in, in particular. Um. You know. Come see Chapo if you see this, hear this before. Honestly, if if we get this out before uh, two weeks from now, uh, Molly and I will both be in New Orleans at the Chapo show there. Mm -hmm. If you're an Andy Introducing fan, it would be a good place to say hi to us. Yeah. Um, We'll get a hurricane. Get a hurricane. Get a hurricane before I go insane. Yeah. (laughs) Make it a hurricane before I go insane. Although New Orleans, very easy to have a hurricane and then actually go Go insane. insane. (laughs) All right. Um, Anything you need to plug, Molly? Uh, the only thing I'll plug that I don't think I've plugged on this show yet because I don't think this show was out before I started doing these, but I've been working on a new video interview series for The Alternative called Get Involved, where I've been talking to music, music people, musicians, music-related folks, music industry people about the stuff that they are working on lately. You can find all that on The uh, the Alternative's YouTube channel. So just search The Alternative YouTube channel. On uh, YouTube. GetAlternative.com is the URL. Follow me on Twitter at Miss Molly Mary. Uh, if you're a music person and you want to talk to me and I'll interview, uh, hit me up. They're very fun interviews. The most recent one was with a band that I quite like, Bodega. Bodega from Brooklyn. I yes. also I talked to Victoria Vark from uh, Iowa City, Iowa. I nice. talked to uh, someone who I, th- I think has at least listened and introducing Commodity Creature. Definitely check out Commodity Creature. The Insane, the electronic. Uh, tuba artist tuba, yes. yeah He's extremely cool. extremely sick um so good stuff popping off there i will say well it's five o'clock somewhere i.e 
here it's in New 5 York 55 City. It's 5.55 p.m. in New York City. Uh, so we're about to head to Margaritaville and get a cheeseburger in paradise. So let's do the ending. Patter, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com or uh, add us or DM us on our Twitter at andintropod. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us as always on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. And as always, tell a friend, say it's chill, say the vibes are right. Change a friend's latitude and maybe change their change attitude. Your attitude. Yeah, kidnap your friend <laughs> and bring them <laughs> and and play them this this podcast. Yeah, as you drive them south. Uh, but that's it. We'll be back sometime eventually. I don't know when. With more words about music. Yes. Here on and introducing. <laughs> <laughs>